Welcome to the Readings Podcast, a production from Melbourne's leading independent bookstore, Readings Books and Music. In today's episode, a recording taken from the launch of Eugene Bacon's most recent novel, Serengeti. This is a novel bathed in sensuous, original language, a love letter to the strong women who bind families together despite everything. It's also a tender remembrance of the many who haven't or couldn't survive the dislocations and tragedies of their turbulent pasts. Serengeti was launched by award-winning author and translator Dominique Heck, who joined Bacon in discussion and for a reading from the book. To introduce them, here's Bacon's publisher at Transit Lounge, Barry Scott. Thank you, Nico, and thank you for readings for hosting the event tonight. And I'd just like to say how delighted we are to be publishing Serengeti. And thinking about the book, it struck me how much the literary scene, perhaps even more in Australia, is still very silo-like. Different genres, for starters, crime, sci-fi, literary fiction, romance, memoir, historical fiction, and boring down even further, I notice reviewers are referring to the World War II novel, the campus novel, the sad girl novel, and the neglected parter of someone famous book. There's one of those out at the moment, I think. And even different states, I've found, can be silos of two, of course, having published the odd writer from Western Australia. I've experienced how hard it is to break them into the eastern seaboard. So we are a vast country, and not to mention cultural background or literary camps. And I think with genre and crime fiction, you've probably noticed that all the covers look the same on those books, the large type and the red countryside. But of course, when you actually read those books, they're often quite different. Of course, there's a place for knowing your audience and distributors and salespeople always want to know what a particular book is like or akin to, particularly one that sold thousands of copies. At Transit Lounge, we do like authors that can take genres to new territories or not feel locked into anything but the art of good writing. What should be important is character, ideas, new ways of looking at things, a certain freshness and a human richness. And Serengeti seems particularly remarkable to me for its buzzing language, at once very Australian, but as the glossary at the back indicates, with words drawn from Swahili, Bantu and made-up language. A novel where we have near the start the line, Waza is shitting in bricks, do people say that elsewhere? I think they might, but not the Waza part. Very Australian, yet the book has very much a feel for African language and spirit and culture. Even though the lovable character Aunt May accuses Chan's Yu of losing it. And just a brief quote from the book, which is Aunt May speaking. Still you did take away with Scarlet. Pad Kapow Guy on jasmine rice, pepperoni lovers, cheddar cheese, burrito and salsa and black beans. That was an embarrassment that didn't even make it into those skinny hips. What happened to your culture? Which also, of course, I think indicates the humour in the book and the playfulness. It's here in the title, Serengeti, Serengeti. And this is an intriguing story too of one's life going haywire in the blink of an eye. And that's how it often seems to happen, hey? And heading to the country in search of new beginning that brings its own adventures. But I'm delighted to welcome Dominic here tonight who will talk to Eugene about the book. 
Dominic is a poet, a fiction writer, a scholar, a literary translator. She grew up in the French-speaking part of Belgium. She read Germanic philology at the University of Liege and holds an MA in literary translation, as well as a PhD in literature. Her works include a novel, three collections of short stories, 10 books of poetry and two plays. Her poems of stories have been published internationally. Often experimental, her writing explores love, loss, exile, and the possibilities of language. Over the years, it has been awarded many prizes, including the Melbourne Fringe Festival Award for Outstanding Writing and Performance, the New England Review Prize for Poetry, and the Martha Richardson Medal for Poetry, and the inaugural Elytra Prize for Literary Translation from Spanish into English. Hush of Fugue is her latest book of prose poetry. Dominic has also performed her poems at plays at festivals on four continents. For 10 consecutive years, she was an invited poet at the Franco-English Poetry Festival in Paris. And in 2015, she was guest of honor at the International Poetry Festival, Quebec. More recently, she presented Scary, a one-act play at the National Opera Center in New York. So that's a lot to talk about. You've done so much. Thank you. Yes, and thank you. So here is a tiny updated bio. Eugene Bacon is an African-Australian author of several novels and fiction collections. She's a twice World Fantasy Award finalist a British Fantasy Award finalist, a four-word Book of the Year Silver Award winner, and was announced in the honor list of the 2022 Otherwise Fellowships for doing exciting work in gender and speculative fiction. Danged Black Thing by Transit Lounge Publishing was a finalist in the British Science Fiction Association, Forward Orealis and Australian Shadows Awards, and made the otherwise award honor list as a sharp collection of Afro-surrealist work. Eugen's creative work has appeared worldwide, including in award-winning Australian writing, fantasy magazine, fantasy and science fiction, and year's best African speculative fiction. So I've known Eugen for over 13 years as a lecturer, editor, PhD supervisor, friend, reviewer, and co-writer. So I thought I knew her work pretty well. Not so. Eugen never ceases to surprise. When you read her book, and stories, you are transported to another realm beyond continents, temporalities, and languages. Take Serengeti. It's a departure from her trademark literary sci-fi. You could say it's a second-person novel, but with energy, gravity, and vibrant movement and rhythm, Eugen has the temerity to ask, what if, instead of being something one must survive, love 
could be a survival tactic. Here, love is reconfigured through a poetic narrative of poignant urgency which speaks back to cliches. Humane, funny, but hard-edged, yet lyrical, Serengeti filters memory and experience through the length of wild imagination. Here, Eugen makes the form her own. And I have a couple of questions to ask. So Eugen, why this departure from literary sci-fi? Thank you, Dominique. It's all Barry's fault. <laughs> so I wrote Dung Black Thing, which is a collection of short stories. And it had a really good reception nationally and internationally. And Barry said to me, I'd like to see another book from you, but I don't want short stories and I don't want speculative fiction. And I went, bloody hell, Barry. I write short stories and I write speculative fiction. And so I thought about it for a bit and this story started talking to me. I really wanted to write a story about a migrant and a story that I could create in a place called Serengeti, coming from Serengeti in Tanzania. And so I had the first 10,000 words and I wrote them. They really wanted to come out, just 10,000 words, no more. And I sent them to Barry and Barry replied with a contract. And I went, bloody hell, Barry, <laughs> that's all I've got. <laughs> And so really luckily, the story started talking to me and talking to me. And Chanzu, the protagonist, is a really strong character. And I really connected with her. And that's how Serengeti came up. I've got a question about nomination, Eugene. Tell us how you approached naming your characters. I think part of that is my African culture. In the African sense, when you know a person's name, when you know something's name, you know them intimately. And that's why sometimes if it's a spirit or a demon, you won't get to know its name because then you have power over it. And so in the African tradition, when you name something, it's important. And like Aunt Mai, the word Mai in Bantu means mother. So Mai or Mawe in my traditional language. And so it's a very affectionate term, aunt mother. And then when you think of names like Bahati, if I call you Bahati, it means that maybe you were born at a time of luck. If I call you Shida, you were born at a time of difficulty. If I tell you that my name is Kurwa and my sibling is Doto, at once you know that we are twins because Kurwa and Doto are names that you give to twins. And immediately you know that Kurwa was the first one and Doto was the second one. And so that's how my naming comes, just from that African tradition. Every name has a meaning, it's really important. Now, it seems to me your uses of pronouns in this book are entangled with history. It is personal, interpersonal, cultural and also political. Is that so? 
Oh, am I making this up? <laughs> a little bit. So when you read the book, in fact, we had a really funny situation where Barry sent the book to a podcaster and immediately the podcaster sent an email saying, you, there, there are typos in the book. Because instead of she, her, or, you know, the usual pronouns that you have, Chanzu uses zi here, which is a, a very unique gender-neutral pronoun. And what I wanted was to create a character to engage with difference, to write about a character who was different, and it's really about how they identify themselves. And so Chanzu in the story would get really cross if you got the pronouns wrong, and so it, that was really important to them. But also, I remember years ago, I went to a conference and one of the panelists said that they never knew that they were bisexual until they wrote a bisexual story. And I think having Chanzu as a queer character is also part of my exploring with by curiosity. Like, what does being bi-curious mean? And so that was part of the exploration of this story. Thank you so much. So now we'd like to share with you a joint reading of an incident that happened in Melbourne, before things start falling apart for Chanzu. Call it a curse, maybe. Chanzu is meeting Aunt Mai to try out this new restaurant called Deguscape that promises African cuisine and is also planning to tell Auntie about Scarlet, how it isn't working. But Chansu has time and goes swimming to this aqua centre in Fitzroy called Intercool. The water, whether clear topaz, the kind you wanted to jump in, just one lane of the pool was shorter than the other. Place was empty by a couple of old white folk one of them on his back with a raised leg doing stretches in trackies on a mat. The other, a woman, was already in the water doing baskets in the longer lane. You called them baskets because she was floating on her back and scooping water with her arms and hands in the slowest and shoddiest backstroke you'd ever seen. And all you could think of was collecting water in straw baskets that were losing each drop faster than they filled. You leaned over, asked in full politeness if you could perhaps take the long end. She glared at you and to your astonishment said, shut up. You tried to explain, I'm swimming laps as patiently as you could. Perhaps she might take the shorter lane? She hissed at you and again said, shut up. You thought, fuck it, and dove into the long end anyway. Real close each time you swam past her, kicked your legs harder to make a splash. Now you are swimming out of your skin, kicking, kicking, showing off as if you are in a race the favorite to win it. You were doing some nifty tumble turns if you dared say so yourself. Your strokes were ace. You were conserving energy and did another beautiful tumble turn. 
And you were a dolphin, flap, flap, swim in your tapered body. You sliced the water with soft hands and it flowed smoothly over your body, binding between your fingers each perfect stroke. You felt pumped, as in pumped. You were ready to do a one-arm press on the floor tiles. You even did a butterfly, good bounce to it, a real whale in the water, no worries, boasting how decent you swam, not pushing baskets. The old man was now doing standing calf stretches, his upper body forward, both hands on the wall. He bent slightly, stepped out of it, switched legs. You flipped, floated your legs, then swept out a backstroke, fingers catching the water, your head still. As you passed basket, something stung your skin. Had you imagined it? You passed her again, and she pinched you. Real nails and fingertips. You hadn't imagined it. Sure, you'd been the aggressor, and that's because she'd been unreasonable. But pinching was for kids. Something snapped, and you stood in the water, your feet touching the meter floor. You heard yourself say, you colonialist. Slave trader. It ought to have been a bit funny, maybe not, that you chose to combine two historically averse yet equally suffocating words. It was you. You belong in a jail of colonialists and slave traders. Then you saw the old man by the water's edge. Clearly, they were together. The way he was eyeballing you. I am younger and stronger than you, you said, loud for his benefit. Touch me one more time and I will hurt you. She scoffed at your fact. Your mood was irrational. Call it OTT. Had the pinches broken off skin? No. You felt something raw inside, but it was not ire. It was a combination of topsy-turvies, and you were tired of being picked on. The old man by the pool. You thought he'd pin drop into the water, reach your collarbone in two strides, but his body was unwilling. He stuttered out of his trackies, dipped into the topaz water. To do what? Give moral support? He looked at you severely, but his body was at odds with his self. He swam in your direction towards where you were arguing with a woman. I saw you start. Is she your wife? You were the one. Teach her manners. She has no right to pinch me. But you! The days of oppressing black people are over. Tell her that. The her in question 
wasn't lingering to see if her man was inclined to tell anything or teach manners for her benefit. She progressed her basket sets you and her friend, lover, or hubby yelled at each other. Then he too bushed after the heated exchange, turned away as if happy to forget it and was content to gasp and wheeze back and forth along the lane. You swam the rest of your laps, but they were no longer on a good flute, no longer easy in the water. The old man still swam, croaking and wheezing each stroke. You sat facing the pool, scowled at him when he groaned and gulped in your direction. Maybe it was your lapse, the blood still running, or your moral outrage over a grown woman pinch, whatever it was. You do have a knack of bounding into storms. You refuse to let it go with basket. Every now and then you remembered this was not kindergarten who pinched people. You helped her recollect. Even as she continued to ignore you and you aimed to wound words. Slave trader, colonialist. She stayed oblivious. He looked worse for wear, it splashed with his hands. As warm bubbles licked you, you wondered if he might cock it any moment. And then you thought, bloody hell, you're a first aider. If she cocks it, you'll have to dive in the water and resuscitate the bloody bitch. <laughs> Thankfully, as your spa foamed and goggled, neither of them crocked. On your way from the poolside, you glared at the two with the best hellfire you could churn inside your eyeballs, but your words came out calm. Get yourself a pet monkey. Basket laughed or gasped, moved her mouth up and down in silent words you couldn't decipher. Then her eyes widened, a heart attack coming, and you legged it out of there. Bravo. I love the heightened sense of immediacy, the rage and outrage, and again, the personal, interpersonal, cultural, historical, all entangled and politicized. Tell us now, Eugene, was it your intention to turn basket into some kind of literalized femme fatale? Now that's a, it's an interesting question. In life, there are real hurts and perceived hurts. It doesn't change how you feel. It hurts all the same. And so in Basket, I wanted to create a paradox, a conundrum, where everything is not always as it seems. Thank you. Thank you. Now, 
So I'm going to thank you all so much. Thank you, Barry. I'd like to thank Dominic so much. Dominic, we've, we've been on such a long journey. Dominic, from being my PhD supervisor to being my friend, my mentor. We've written a book together. I'd like to thank my son, Nikki. And thank you to Readings. I am so grateful. Yeah. Serengeti is available via all reading stores and from our website, where you can stream previous episodes of the Readings Podcast. You'll also find all kinds of other recommendations for great books, music, film, and TV. You can also sign up to e-news or to receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Monthly. The Readings Podcast is produced by me, Nico Callaghan. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. All episodes of this show are recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to acknowledge traditional owners and pay earnest respects to Elders past, present and those to come. Thank you.